Cool. Welcome to the Making After School Cool podcast, the link between research, practice, and theory for those interested in the activities youth are involved with during non-school hours. The Making After School Cool podcast is produced by Case for Kids, a division of Harris County Department of Education, and I'm your host, Mike Wilson. It's always a pleasure to interview a colleague here with Case, so I'm excited to have Helen Spencer as a guest for this episode. For the last few months, she has been conducting research regarding the thoughts of -of out-of-school professionals and organizations as they look back on how they coped during the COVID pandemic. Helen, thanks so much for being my guest on this episode. So it's a pleasure as always, especially when it's a colleague and a friend, and this is a timely topic. So thank you for joining me this morning. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. First, I would like to start off with who were the organizations involved in your study? And for research enthusiasts, was this a qualitative or quantitative type of research project? Great. I'm glad you asked. Uh, The organizations that we approached um, and asked for their involvement were four school-based programs that are run by external partners, two social service community centers, and one drop-in or after-school nonprofit. And the reason I don't give you their names is that was a part of the consent process, was that we weren't going to be naming them individually, but we would just be having conversations and talking about what was their experience like, um, what changes did they have to make during COVID-19, and what would help if something like this were to happen again. And so based on those questions, you as a research nerd would know that that's qualitative (laughs) and not quantitative. Um, And the beauty of qualitative research is that in a scenario like this, you're looking more at the process. You're looking more at the experience and less about sort of the outcomes and the outputs. And so that's that's how we went into this. and it was actually a program evaluation or a process evaluation. It wasn't an actual full-blown research study. Okay. And although after-school and out-of-school activities are important, based on your uh, study, why was access to these types of services important during the initial and ongoing stages of COVID? When I think about that question, I just keep coming back to mental health and the importance of having some sense of stability and safety during adolescence. Uh, Something like COVID-19, this isn't a hurricane where it's like, okay, we're in this phase and then now this is gonna happen and now that's gonna happen. It was this multi-level disruption and nobody really knew what was gonna happen next and we hadn't been through it before. And so I think in a situation like that, you have adolescents who may already be at a disadvantage. And that situation is not just gonna reveal those gaps, but it's gonna magnify them and just blow them out of the water. And so we tend to focus a lot on kind of the quantitative piece. We focus a lot on grades and how many kids, how are, what are we gonna do about accountability this year? But there's this whole other aspect of just their well-being during something like this and you know, you know this from living in Houston and from having kids, like stress just has this way of multiplying and proliferating throughout the whole family system. Like you and I were just kind of talking about our weekends and about all these unexpected things that happen that we're working through. And all of that affects every member of the family. So during COVID, you'll have a parent who may lose a job or who might get sick or even worse. 
And all of that has this spillover effect to every member of the family and to the children. And so when the schools shut down, the concern is, you know, how do they stay connected to their friends and how do they how do how do they maintain those bonds that they've made with these stable adults in their life who look out for them? And so that would that would be my main concern and like not to leave out the quantitative because I do, you know, mixed methods is a thing. Um, but if you want to look at the data, the CDC, like they said that, uh, I, I think they had a report recently that four in 10 teens were reporting that they felt persistently sad or hopeless. And, you know, during the period of this program evaluation, so as I'm talking with these providers and how they're adapting and making sure that they can still help kids, ERs across the US were seeing mental health visits skyrocket. They were up 24% among kids between five and 11 years old. And they were up 31% among adolescents aged 12 to 17 compared with the previous year. So this had, I mean, it's not just a speculation that it was, uh, you know, just a, a multi-level stressor for these kids. Like we know it was. Yeah, I think since this, you know, initially was an incident that really nobody was prepared for. So I think anxiety, stress, the whole unknown and how we're going to operate was definitely a difficult time for not only out of school, but really everybody. During the early parts of the COVID shutdown, what challenges did the organizations face and what changes did they have mm -hmm. to implement in their service delivery? Yeah, I think, you know, when I was talking with them, it reminded me a lot of the experience of going through my first hurricane season in Houston. And you tend to, to focus a lot on, you have to make your, it's an emergency situation. So it's all hands on deck. And so they talked a lot about, you know, just off the cuff designing and implementing these workarounds and technology solutions. So they've got folks who are researching the different platforms, like do we use Zoom or Teams or something else? They were training uh, families and employees and teachers, just trying to make sure everyone could communicate on these platforms. And at the same time, they were having to make curriculum decisions about how does this, how, how does this activity translate to a take-home kit? Or how can we combine these events so we stay connected with parents? And they were also like just really responsive in taking stock of like, what do we have? How many iPads do we have? How many iPads do they have? How can we get devices? Do we have a donor who can help here? Who has a space where we can socially distance? Do you have counsel, like the social service agencies were saying like, we had counselors with this other division and we brought them in to help with our out of school time programs. So they were just, they were really um, just, uh, just versatile and creative in the way they approached that. And, you know, that's kind of like you see the best of that when there is a crisis. And so you saw that during the first period of, of this disaster. Other things that impacted organizations included staffing, partnerships with providers and volunteers. How did people you talked with handle these situations? It, again, it was the creativity. They turned to Case for Kids. At, you know, as kind of a thought leader and how would they approach that, especially when it came to grants and staying in compliance. 
And again, like there was no blueprint. This wasn't the type of, of disruption that we've been through before. And they were experiencing different donors who would pull out of the big events they had scheduled. And this was happening across the board, not just in out of school time. Um, but yeah, those big fundraisers, they don't really translate to an online event. And there was so much disruption that they just, these fundraisers weren't happening. And so they took a hit uh, on their budgets as far as that was concerned. And so I think they just had to kind of figure out how do we minimize the bleeding and how can we stay in compliance and just survive this period? And that's that's what a lot of them described. One organization in particular highlighted the issue with part-timers and contractors, because I think a lot of the support that came from PPP loans and just the unemployment benefits that the state was enhancing during that time period is that they didn't really reach some of the contractors and part-timers who needed that. And so these uh, organizations were looking for ways to help those contractors make up for lost time. So they were very creative in coming up with trainings and also making sure their employees knew about available aid. So like there were some city and county relief programs and they just, they really took on that leadership role and kind of helping them through this, even though that's not something they would normally do. So that, I, that was a key theme that, that came out was just a, a focus on how to support and just walk with their employees through this situation. Now, regarding organizations who served limited English speaking student populations, how were these students impacted when services that addressed their needs were reduced? Those were some of the most heartbreaking stories um, that I came across during these interviews because they described how, you know, kids who were part of a refugee family or they're new to the area or English language learning and just the setbacks that that this trauma had for them and that they weren't they didn't have the opportunity to practice their new knowledge with others who were in the same situation and they just felt very cut off and that was an area that a lot of them identified as you know we want to focus on this in the future because you know they they are experiencing just an intense disruption on so many aspects of their life and this is i mean we talk about how critical this time period is especially adolescence it's like you know the second most critical time period for brain development so if you have someone who is new to a country or new to the community and they're in that developmental context and they're experiencing this multi-level disaster they're extremely vulnerable and so that was something that came out of those conversations as we need to figure this out and they did everything they could possibly do but i think as a community we need to figure that out and we need to think through how do we direct more resources to that particular population to make sure that that they're being cared for hopefully we will not have to experience anything like you know covid anytime soon but if we have to what were some lessons these organizations learned well i think i i really am interested in taking a strengths-based perspective when it comes to this because like you said 
there's no guarantee that we, that we won't go through this again. And so it's just like when you when you think about your first hurricane season in Houston and you focus on the tools that you need, a generator, a bottled water flashlights. And so you learn and you get better at managing that. Now, yes, there are systemic issues that need to be addressed for sure. Um, you know, and that's true when it, when it comes to hurricanes, you know, they, um, and I think with COVID, you see a similar um, narrative around those disparities and how they are not just exposed, but they exponentially increase. And so I think there's two sides to that equation. One is addressing the systemic issues and the other is what this study is focusing on is what were the lessons learned that can be applied right away. And so what came from that is numerous examples of a silver lining. And those included making really smart and creative curriculum changes, creative scheduling, employee engagement. And some of those changes that they made during COVID were so successful, they decided to keep them in place or they would adapt them to another type of change. Like if they're getting a new curriculum, they would follow that same protocol. So I thought that was interesting. And then, you know, the thing that came up again and again with all of the, the folks that I talked to was some version of a learning kit and just how those, like it, it seems like such a simple thing, but it, it really hit on many levels. Let me just give you some examples of these. They might have a food drive. And so that would be an opportunity to check in with some of their families. And while the families were in the car line for the food drive, they would give them reading materials and enrichment kits. And so then what you would see is the whole family, because we spent, you know, there were families that spent a lot of time at home during those early phases of the pandemic, whether it was together or just the kids or one parental caregiver. And so this just kind of gave them some kind of structure or activity that they could work on together. And the whole family would get involved. You, I heard stories about, you know, siblings who would help with the activity and then they would get excited about the potential of attending that program when they get older. Um, they did, there was a program that was called, I think it was called like Missing from the Museum and it was a partnership with different museums. And it was like a virtual package where the kids could see inside the museum almost like a video game and they would they would learn in this experiential way by focusing on who's missing, whether it's culturally, racially, or gender-wise, and what cultures are there and which ones aren't. And so they had these really great literacy-based modules. They had gardening take-home kits. They did spaghetti night where the family would cook together and they could either do it in like a synchronous environment on Zoom or they could do it later on their own time and then share videos and photos from that experience. So it just kind of opened this whole other door to learning. And some of those adaptations they have documented and they will plan on, on pulling those off the shelf next time. And some of them they've kept and they've integrated into their existing curriculum. Now you may have answered um, this next question and the last question, but can mm -hmm. you share some recommendations and best practices that were learned because of this incident? Yeah, I think, you know, communication came up a lot as a theme and uh, folks said that you really can't over communicate during something like that, whether it's with your families, your students, 
or um, or or your staff. Like they there were some folks who were having like daily meetings with their staff, and they thought it was overkill. But then their staff later said. I really appreciated that you carved out that time without me asking for it. I knew I could just drop in and get technology support without having to ask for it. And so those were some things that that were surprising to them and that they've taken that to heart. Um, another best practice, I think it's just like not not making assumptions, having a really open mind because they found, like they initially thought that most of the kids would uh, would not want to be online for that amount of time for an out-of-school time program. They thought these kids are going to have Zoom fatigue from being in classes, but they actually, there were many kids who looked forward to that time to interact, not in an academic environment, and just catch up with their friends. Sure, there were kids who were like, I've got my neighborhood friends and I'm going to run out and, you know, we're going to go do stuff. But there were a lot of kids who missed that um, that link to their friends. And so they, they participated very consistently and enthusiastically in these, in these Zoom groups with the OST program. So I, I thought that was interesting. So yeah, communication, um, just being creative and open-minded and not assuming that the kids aren't going to like something because they will surprise you. And the other thing was just that there are benefits to having virtual spaces where people can engage. There was some stories about um, children who had previously been bullied and they felt like they had a level playing field when they were in uh, a Zoom room doing an activity, that accessibility wasn't an issue for them physically, like a, like a student who may use a wheelchair no longer felt that that stood out when they were in these, in these Zoom environments. So I, I, I thought that was interesting. And they all, I, I think most most of the organizations who hadn't already done this were planning to make sure that their budget allocations included technology and included um, subscriptions to whichever platforms they intended to use. And so I think that's going to make any transition like this a little bit easier next time. Yeah, I think that was one of the unique things, this experience is, I think we did a quantum leap on how we're going to use technology. How can we stay engaged with students if they can't come to our physical place? Um, and so it's definitely something that I think is going to benefit service delivery even you know now since we're getting, I, would, I guess I'd call it, post-COVID shutdowns, and now we're kind of going back to a new normal. So uh, that was definitely some uh, valuable lessons learned. Before we go, do you have any final thoughts? I just really appreciate how open all the organizations were in describing the challenges that they faced, but also the sense of pride that I heard from them on how they overcame those challenges. I think those stories are really important to tell, and it kind of it left me thinking back on just some of, as, as a person who's lived in Houston since 2003 and everything that we've endured. And it would be easy to think about it from a deficit lens, but I try to think about how much we overcame and how much we learned during that process. And that really came through in the conversations. And so I was just very honored that they were open with me and that they see the value in those narratives and helping build a better future. 
Awesome. Well, Helen, thank you so much for being my guest today on the Making After School Cool podcast. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. As always, I want to thank our listeners for joining us for this week's episode, where our topic focused on the thoughts of out-of-school professionals and organizations as they reflect on how they coped during the COVID pandemic. Please join us for future episodes as we continue to explore issues relevant to the out-of-school time field.